Well, once again, we are deeply indebted to Bethany for what she does for our children and the children's program here at Wodonga Baptist Church and also to the team who lead us in worship. So thank you again to those who've given up their time to help us produce our service. There was a season in life when Diana and I lived in Robinvale, a little town downstream from us here in Wodonga, downstream on the Murray River. I was teaching there and we managed to buy our first home, which was a home out on the um, uh, blocks. It was on uh, block number 44C, which was um, a block house that we enjoyed living in, uh, a block that had actually been established by the returned soldiers who had settled in that area. I'm a firm believer in the theory which says that the culture, including the church culture, is shaped by a history of the town. And that was certainly the case in Robinvale because many of the original families who settled there were settled as, uh, as a result of war. And the Christian church struggled deeply uh, with an antagonism that had been so entrenched in the life of those people who had experienced the horrors and trauma of war. Uh, many had gone to war with, um, with some kind of faith and had returned after the war having witnessed and experienced all sorts of uh, awful things through that period of time, the hideousness uh, of war. And they'd concluded that God had failed and that there was no uh, use for Christianity. In fact, the church, what the church proclaimed, what the church preached hadn't stood up in the context of crisis. And in that respect, they weren't that much different to many others through history who have come to the same conclusion when they've hit the wall of crisis, when there's been some kind of catastrophe or something going on in life that just um, shapes them so, whose faith perhaps has been shipwrecked by crisis, who've turned away from God because they've perceived that he's failed them in the midst of the crisis, or perhaps in the midst of their own circumstances have concluded that God's impassive to their plight or doesn't care or worse, is not competent or capable to meet them in their time of need. One of the questions that we have to wrestle with is how do we respond in the face of crisis? What is a, a posture that we should adopt? And it's a question that some people are even asking in the context of the coronavirus because it's impacted lots of people in lots of different ways. Is the hand of God too short to reach out and save his people? Is the hand of God too short to change the circumstances in the world? And these are some of the questions that are asked in the first chapter of Ruth, this little book that we're going to spend the next few weeks in. A beautiful story, I might say, a beautiful story which sits in the middle of what really is not a particularly beautiful story. If you've had a look at the context for the book of Ruth, you'll notice that it comes after the book of Judges, which really is a description of, of moral degradation and trouble for Israel, a time where they walked with the Lord for a while and then they turned away from God. He sent a prophet, he sent a judge amongst them. They turned back. It was a time of war. It was a time of difficulty. It's actually best summed up by a statement in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, which says, In those days there was no king, and everyone did what, is, uh, what was right in their own eyes. That, of course, is a recipe for disaster. There's two key 
characters in this chapter. We'll meet Naomi and we'll meet Ruth. And this week I want to have a look at Naomi's story as we spend a couple of weeks together in just this first chapter. A woman who experienced a catastrophe of enormous proportions. And my interest is to have a look at what brought her to this place and how did she respond? And then next week we'll look at Ruth, the other character in this first chapter, and look at what brought her into that place and how she responded. Not to contrast the two, because that would be unfortunate, uh, but to ask the question, where is God in the crisis and why is this little book included in the Bible in the first place? What is God saying to us through this fantastic little book? We're going to read from Ruth chapter 1, verses uh, 1 right through to the end of the chapter. There's 22 verses there. And uh, I invite you to grab a Bible and read that with me uh, and we'll see how we go. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they'd lived there about ten years, both Mahalon and Kilion also died and Naomi was left without her two sons and husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and she said to her, and said to her, We'll go back to you with your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait till they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it's bitter for me, more bitter for me than you, because the Lord's hand has been turned against me. At this they wept aloud again, and then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, 
but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Well, if you know anything of biblical history, you'll probably recognise right from the start there's a number of things in this story that are red flags, things that kind of warn us that there's something going on here, some, some failures uh, taking place that uh, shape this story. It was a period of history in which the judges ruled, a period, as I've already said, that was characterised by what we call apostasy, turning away from God, turning away from his law and obedience to him. Uh, Israel repeatedly failed to walk in his ways. Right at the start of this chapter, it tells us that there was a famine in the land and that's a red flag too because uh, Israel had been promised by God that if they walked in his way, they would be nourished by him. He would send the rains, he would provide the food, he would grow the crops, but there's a famine. And that, of course, is described to us earlier in the Old Testament as one of the curses that God would bring on his people if they turned away from him. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 23 to 24, God said to his people, if you walk away from me, the sky over your head will be bronze, the ground beneath you iron. The Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder. It will come down from the skies until you are destroyed. The identification of Bethlehem in the same sentence as a famine is also a problem. Because you realise the name Bethlehem literally means house of bread. There was a famine in the house of bread. I'm reminded of Slim Dusty who sang uh, the song that might be familiar uh, with you, the pub with no beer, he said these words, there's nothing so lonesome, no morbid, so drear as to stand in the bar as a pub with no beer. Well, Slim, I'm really sorry for you, but brother, there's nothing compared to what was going on here. A famine in the house of bread actually is a national catastrophe, not a kind of a local issue like that that Slim sings about. And the naming of Moab in this story is rather interesting too. Moab, if you can imagine uh, the, a picture of Israel in your mind, is on the eastern side of the Dead Sea, pretty much opposite Jerusalem, a little bit to the south and to the east what in is now, of course, Jordan. And Moab was outside the borders of Israel. It was not part, Moab, Moabites were not part of God's covenant people. And the fact is that um, Judah and Moab are probably only about 100 kilometres away as the crow flies. And there's a famine in one and there's not in another. There's another flag of a real problem. And it would be really tempting to draw a line of causality between the catastrophe that overtook Naomi uh, with the death of her husband, the infertility of her daughters-in-law because uh, neither of her sons had children at this stage, their death and uh, this um, lack of faith on the family's part in going to Moab in the first place and marrying Moabite women. It'd be, it, it's tempting to kind of load that on them as though it was their fault. And to be truthful, a number of commentators would do that. They would say they probably should not have walked out of Judah and into Moab. They should have stayed and trusted God. It's easy, of course, to say that, isn't it? We don't know what their circumstances were really like. 
And to be frank with you, the text actually doesn't apportion blame to them. It just lays out these factors. We're left to draw some conclusions ourselves because the author of the book of Ruth is actually more interested in God's act of redemption through uh, this story. And this is important to reflect on too because it reminds us as we think about what caused Naomi's circumstances that there are times that we could actually say the things that happen in our lives have happened because we've walked away from God. There are times that disasters fall upon us or circumstances conspire against us which, which are connected to times where we've just not walked in faithful obedience or when perhaps we've even been walking in outright sin. That happens. But there are other times where things happen to us because we live in a sinful world. I'm just mindful at the moment that there are people who've lost businesses, there are people who've lost their jobs through no fault of their own. It's just because we live in a world that's been impacted by sin and the whole coronavirus deal and other stuff that goes on on in our world uh, as, as of no fault of theirs, good people, good Christian people. Uh, the scripture says the sun shines, the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. It, we're impacted by bad stuff because we live in a fallen world. And Naomi may well have found herself in this situation by no choice of her own. She probably didn't actually have much to say in the family moving in the first place. And as I say, what's of interest to the author is not so much the cause of the catastrophe. It'd be really easy to apportion blame and that's sometimes uh, tempting to do. But the author of the book of Ruth is actually more interested in how Naomi responds and even more interested than that in how the sovereign hand of God is at work in her circumstances, even though there are times where Naomi can't see them. There are times, as we see in this first chapter, where Naomi just cannot see any light at the end of the tunnel. And yet we know, from our perspective, as we read, uh, that God is at work. It's really clear from this chapter that Naomi's experienced a personal catastrophe. And yet, through it, has maintained some sort of faith. It's an interesting faith. I'll talk more about it uh, just now. It's actually, I, I think, as I reflect on it, um, a really beautiful faith in so much as it's very human, it's very earthy, it's not some kind of pie in the sky, you know, she trusts God no matter what. She's got some questions. She's wrestling with doubts and that actually, in some senses, gives us permission to acknowledge the truth that we do the same from time to time. There are times where we walk uh, and uh, are sure that God's leading us and things don't work out and then we wonder, has God led us at all? Is it true? Is it real? Can God be trusted? Let's acknowledge the fact that there are times where we doubt and Naomi is in exactly that place. It's a faith that's sewn together with doubt, faith that knows God but is not quite sure what that means in practice. Hers is not little faith though. Hers is actually a freedom of faith that lets her voice her doubts and and know that God who has broad shoulders is able to cope will hear her and will deal with her even though her faith is is limited by her humanness and her understanding and in that sense I'm encouraged by this book because it just says you know it's not it's not about how big your faith is it's about who you have faith in. 
after the death of her two sons, which we have reported in verse 5, Naomi was left in a very vulnerable position. She had no protection. She had no home. She had no security. In the Middle East, in those days, that was a dangerous place to be. Her family line was in danger of being erased. That, in terms of uh, the people of Israel, was something that was awful to contemplate. And again, uh, as we read this text, we see this interplay of a faith that wants to believe but doesn't have the capacity to believe for all that God offers. You know, when uh, Naomi hears that uh, God has provided for his people back uh, in, uh, in Judah, this is in verse 6, her faith says, OK, I'll go back. But her faith isn't big enough to know that she could take the girls with her. Um, she's an old woman. There's no likelihood of being able to support them. Uh, from a practical perspective, um, her thinking's probably right. You know, most people would think uh, she's, uh, she's speaking the truth. And in verse 11 and from verse 11 onwards, she, she does, she speaks what to all intents and purposes is a very practical, pragmatic kind of way forward. She said, return home, go back girls, why would you come with me? I'm not going to have any more sons, I'm not going to have another family. Your prospects are actually pretty limited. She had actually forgotten, by the way, that there was a kinsman redeemer back there in Judah who ultimately we will meet, of course, in this book. And uh, Bethany's alluded to that already today. But she did believe that the Lord's hand had been turned against her. It's this kind of intermarriage of, of, of trust and, and doubt that so characterises her and probably is uh, representative of us at times too. And we have to say that it's not unusual in the context of crisis to be overwhelmed by the disaster and the circumstances that we find ourselves. And two kind of things flow out of that. Uh, it's worth looking at that. Uh, and we see it in Naomi's life. The first thing is we do tend to just make pragmatic decisions. We think, well, what is it I need to do in this space? What do I have to do right now? Naomi had been so overwhelmed that her mind just said, all right, this is all I can see. And one of the things that I found really helpful to ask people who I've been working with in these kind of spaces, and if you're in this space too, perhaps there's an opportunity to ask this question, is this. Where do we see God's hand in the midst of the crisis? Where do you see the fingerprints of God in this? What is God up to in this space? They're important questions because in the context of crisis and because we are human, we often lose sight of the sovereignty of God. We're just so overwhelmed with what's in front of us, the catastrophe, the crisis, the disaster. We just, we can't see what God's doing and yet he's at work. It's helpful sometimes to have someone come in and say, hey, I can see it. I can see what God's doing. The second thing that happens, and we see this happen with Naomi as well, is we often become self-absorbed. We're human. We're not superhuman. And in the midst of our circumstances, our needs become the only needs that we can see. I don't say that as a negative or a criticism. It's a reality. Our, our minds become overwhelmed to the point where, where we're just trying to survive. 
And this was true for Naomi. You have a look here with me in verses 20 to 21 when she did arrive back there in Judah, even though she had Ruth with her. Uh, You'll notice that she used the personal pronoun for herself eight times in those two verses. It was all about her. It was all about her. And her experience, her perspective has been so shaped that that's all she can think about. And I can understand, you know, having faced that, uh, she would be just like that and, and say these things in a sense to remind us that Naomi was human like we are and there are times where we will walk through these same kinds of things. In that space, we can very easily be blinded to God's greater work that's going on behind the scenes. And one of the invitations of this chapter is to look as we can from afar and perhaps in the moments when things kind of aren't going so well to step back from those things a little bit and ask the question, where is God's hand at work? In the midst of Naomi's crisis, we can, because of our perspective, see that God is actually working to bring things into place. As I said earlier, the interest of the author is not so much in the circumstances that brought about the crisis as it is in the manner in which God is working to redeem the crisis. The focus is not on whether Naomi hadn't walked before the Lord or whether her husband hadn't walked before the Lord or whether her family hadn't obeyed the Lord. The focus, the interest here is actually what is God doing to bring them back? And at the end of this Uh, Chapter Naomi uh, described her circumstances as being very bitter. And the truth is that crisis, if we don't process it well, can make us bitter. But if we're able to step back a little and ask the question, where is God at work? How is God working through these circumstances? How can I walk in step with what he's doing instead of making us bitter these kinds of crises can make us better. We might not be able to see that at the time. It's hard because all we can see is the crisis, but there is an opportunity as we walk in step with God uh, to forego bitterness and aspire to betterness. Not great grammar, but you understand what I'm trying to say. And although this is an Old Testament passage and we're a long way from the New Testament, Here we find the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ because this story uh, is a story of a departure from the centre of God's life in obedience. This family left the nation, they left the, the place where God had established his covenant. They went because of those difficult circumstances They had kind of metaphorically, if you like, left the heart of God and God is at work bringing them back and that's the gospel message, isn't it? It's the message that we see sown right through the Old Testament anticipating the coming of Christ who brings back those who have left, those who have walked out, those who have walked outside God's will and that of course is all of us because as the scripture teaches us, every one of us has walked apart from God. We've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And God's been at work through history to work through the circumstances of history to the time when Jesus Christ came. And at the end of this chapter, uh, 
we have a glimmer of hope. Naomi came back from Moab to Judah. She arrived in Bethlehem as the harvest was just beginning. God is working out his purposes and there's good news for her and there's good news for us too because through history, uh, God has been working towards uh, Jesus, our Saviour, who will redeem us from our sin. It's a verse that alerts us to the fact that there's always hope, that God is at work no matter how bitter or how awful or how complicated our circumstances are. And I know that there are some who are wrestling with those kinds of things right now. But God is the expert at redemption. He sent Christ to redeem what to us was irredeemable. There was nothing we could do about sin. And yet he was able to bring us back into relationship with him. That's the gospel of Christ. And ultimately, the book of Ruth points to this. And I think it's probably the reason it's been included in the Bible, apart from the fact, and Bethany alluded to this too, that, uh, that Ruth was incorporated in the family that ultimately came down through the generations to Jesus. It's God's way of saying, I'm going to take someone from outside whose circumstances you would not believe are so complicated and bring them to the very heart of what I am doing. This God of ours has been at work from the beginning of time to redeem his people from sin through Christ who stood in our place and nothing is impossible for God. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for this story that we find here in the Old Testament, a story of redemption, a story that captures for us some of the joys of the gospel. Lord, we recognise in Naomi someone who is just like us, if we were honest, and we're so thankful, Father, that you don't sugarcoat the characters of the scriptures. This person is portrayed to us as one who wrestles with faith and we do too. Father, we would confess there are times where we, uh, where we see you clearly and walk with you easily and there are other times where the way forward just seems complicated and difficult and we ask, where are you? Lord, you have not departed from us, you never have. You go before us, you are beside us, you are behind us and we thank you for that. Lord, we continue to pray for those in our community who are struggling with their circumstances, whether it's health-related, whether it's work-related, whether it's relationship-related, those for whom it's difficult to see the way forward. Gracious God, bless them with your presence and your perspective, we pray. Lord, we pray for our community more broadly that they might see the manner in which you have been working out your purposes through the ages and even in our day too. May we, your church, continue to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, that others might recognise their need to come and walk in obedience to him. Lord, we want to thank you again for your word today and the blessing of knowing you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.